A few years ago, I saw a commercial for a movie that I immediately put on my do not watch list. It made it there. There's a lot on that list. It made it there because it's a horror movie, and I don't really like horror movies. There's enough horror in the world. I don't need to be entertained by it. But the plot was intriguing to me. Uh, As far as I could tell, the plot was about a child who was very similar to Superman. You you know the story, right? Uh, An alien who came to the earth, and he was adopted by parents and raised on a farm. And uh, when he became an adolescent, he started to display superhuman powers, um, uh, superhuman strength and speed and laser vision. But uh, this is the horror part of the movie. Uh, unlike Superman, this uh, young boy, Brandon, is not committed to truth, justice in the American way. Instead, he's angry and vengeful and petty and destructive. He's violent and murderous. That's the horror part. What can you do before someone who has such power but is so ruthless. You can never have any safety or security and not really any freedom. You're always under this oppressive weight of what if I do something that provokes him and he destroys me? It could be a nightmare. And it's a good way for us to start thinking about our topic for today, because today we're going to talk about the goodness of God. Last week we talked about the power of God. Um, God can do whatever he pleases, and no one can stop him from doing whatever it is that he pleases. What if God is vicious or cruel or angry or impatient? What What if the God who is, is boring? just bland and boring. Who would ever want to go to heaven if the God who's there is boring? That's a worthwhile topic for us to think about, the goodness of God. Remember uh, that great line from A.W. Tozer, the 20th century preacher? He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Michael Reeves teaches theology in Great Britain, and he talks to a lot of people who don't believe in God. And he said, uh, when they they describe the God they believe in, I don't believe in him either. Most often they describe a loveless dictator in the sky. Here's, Here's what he said. In my own experience, when I ask atheists or agnostic students to describe the God they don't believe in, I am usually treated to what sounds like a good description of Satan a self-obsessed, merciless bully. Now speaking of the Trinity, if God is not an ever-loving father, eternally pouring out his spirit of life and blessing on his son, and their, then their descriptions are probably pretty accurate. If God is not father, son, and spirit, then he must be an eternally solitary being who has managed to get through eternity without love. I think we should talk about the goodness of God because the goodness of God, I believe, fuels faithfulness to him. Is God trustworthy? Does he take his promises seriously or is he forgetful about them? Does he care about um, the needs of those who trust in him? Is he sloppy with his own truth? I think a crucial question for determining the trajectory of someone's life as a follower of Jesus is to ask them this question, do you believe that God is good? 
do you believe that God is good? This morning, I want to ask and answer three questions about this topic. First, we're going to say, ask the question, what is the goodness of God? And then second, we're going to ask, why do we tend to doubt the goodness of God? And third, why does the goodness of God matter? What, 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 how do we apply our certainty, our knowledge of the goodness of God? Now, I, I did a fair amount of reading about this topic. One of the most important uh, people that I consulted is a lecture that I listened to several years ago by Kevin DeYoung, and you'll hear how dependable, dependent, he's dependable, how dependent I am on uh, what he has to say. You can Google it online. If you look Kevin DeYoung and the goodness of God, you'll find an excellent hour or so, uh, a, a way to spend your time. So I highly recommend it. But anyway, let's start. What is the goodness of God? Now, when we use the word good, we use it in a lot of different ways. Sometimes we use the word good to describe something that's useful. I bet in your drawer, in uh, the utensil drawer in your house, you can open it and you have a lot of knives in there. But when you're going to do a particular task, you have a favorite in that knife drawer, don't you? You're looking for the good knife. The other knives will do, but you want the good knife right? And some of you, if the good knife is dirty, you, you wash it so you can use the good knife, the most useful knife. We use the word good to describe it, that. Sometimes when we use the word good, we, we talk about quality. Somebody comes into the house and says, I bought cookies at the grocery store. And you ask, did you buy the good ones? Like the, the quality ones, the best ones, the ones that all of us like, or did you buy something with raisins in it like nobody likes Sometimes we use the word good to describe something that is satisfying or fulfilling. Uh, just think of uh, uh, good in Genesis 1 and 2 and how the Bible uses the word good there. God saw what he made and it was good. It was whole. It was satisfying. It's worthy of praise. So when you get home, is there somebody in your life who says, did you have a good day? Was it a whole day, a satisfying, fulfilling day? Sometimes we use the word good to talk about things that are holy as opposed to wicked. Good versus evil. Of course, God in that sense is good. He's holy. He's good. He's not evil. But that's not what, we're, what I'm thinking about today when we use the phrase the goodness of God. When I want you to think about the goodness of God, I want you to think about God's generosity. God's generosity. God's inclination to bless, that God treats all he has made with kindness. He's generous. He doesn't need anything from us, but out of his own self-sufficiency, he's benevolent, he's generous, he's kind. He's not stingy, he's not moody, he's not mean, he's not petulant, he's generous. He is inclined to give and bless and show kindness. Now, let me read some relevant verses, a number of them. Psalm 119, 68 says, You are good, and what you do is good. Psalm 25, 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he guides sinners in the way. It's a good verse to think about. God is upright, so he knows the way to take, and he's good, he's willing to instruct sinners in the way they should go. He, he knows the way, 
and he's willing to tell us the way to go because he's good. Psalm 147.9, he provides, now we're going to think about God's goodness to creation, several of these verses. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. Sometimes when we forget to feed Stella, she lets us know. Our dog, she'll, she'll uh, bark a little bit or she'll whine a little bit. She lets us know she's hungry and, and we respond. When, who, who responds when the ravens are hungry and they call for food? God feeds them. Or um, look at this, Psalm 104, 21. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. Uh, Kevin DeYoung says, in, in contrast to what Mufasa and Simba think, they are not fed by some mysterious circle of life. They are fed by God. God feeds the lions. Psalm 145, 16, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing because you are good. God is good. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And then Acts 14.17, this last verse we'll read here for now. He has shown kindness, Paul said, by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Every blessing that every creature on earth enjoys comes from God we're surrounded, we're surrounded by the evidence of the goodness, the great goodness of God. G.K. Chesterton said something about God that is worth thinking about. He said, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. Can I get a witness? Yes. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. I love this line. We have sinned and grown, grown old, and our father is younger than we. The repetition in nature may not be a mere recurrence, it may be a theatrical encore. God says over and over and over again, 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 again. There's goodness, there's goodness, there's goodness everywhere. We know, we who are followers of Jesus, know of God's goodness beyond creation. We know it because God has provided for us forgiveness and life. Now, if we want to be technical with some of our definitions here, mercy is God's goodness to the suffering. Grace is God's goodness to the undeserving. And we who are followers of Jesus know that uh, very well. 
God has rescued us from our sin, from our rebellion against him. And it was not our idea. It was not our plan. It was not our request. And it's not our accomplishment. It comes from the goodness of God, who in his great generosity, so loving the world that he gave us his one and only son, who offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross, died and rose again and ascended to heaven so that all who turn and trust in him will have forgiveness and life. We know deeply about the goodness of God, we who are acquainted with Jesus. Goodness upon goodness upon goodness. And what's striking is in the Bible, God's goodness is something he delights in doing. God's goodness is not something that he rolls his eyes at like a teenager when you ask him to take out the garbage for the 12th time. It, it's something he, he, he exalts in doing. Remember in, in creation in Genesis 1 and 2, every day, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good, until he comes to something that's not good, not whole yet, and then what does he do? He works to make it whole. He, he, God is the one who restores and blesses and fixes and makes all things whole. The goodness of God. This is an area, though, that we are tempted to doubt his generosity, his goodness. Why is that? I want to suggest to you three reasons why we tend to doubt the goodness of God. Number one, life is unfair. Life is unfair. Why? If God delights in goodness, why does God seem to treat some creatures and some nations with more blessings than others? Why is he more good to some people than to other people. Why is that? Um, Kevin DeYoung answers that objection a couple ways. He said, first, we should acknowledge God's freedom to do what he wants with his own resources. God can do what he wants with his own resources. Jesus told a parable about this in Matthew chapter 20 about a landowner who hired workers, day laborers, and he hired them throughout uh, the day, various times of the day. At the end of the day, he paid all of them the same amount. And the ones who were hired earlier in the day didn't think that was fair. We've worked so long. We've worked much longer than the people you hired late in the day. What, what, this isn't right. And then uh, the landowner says, Jesus uh, uh, telling this story in Matthew 20, 15, the landowner says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? God does have the right to do what he wants with his own resources. And sometimes, uh, maybe too, we have a perception problem. Let's take a poll. Don't raise your hands. Don't volunteer. Let's take a poll of the children in our church. How many of you think that your parents have dealt with you fairly in comparison to your siblings? Is there any child any child who thinks that their parents have been fair in their allocation of, of their resources, I know, I know, uh, most parents that I know really do try to distribute their time and attention and money fairly. Um, but, but very few children actually think that's true. So you ask yourself, who has a better grasp of fairness with what is distributed in a home? Do children have a better grasp of what's fair, or do parents have a better grasp of what's fair? 
Maybe we have a perception problem with God's fairness. Now, the second reason why we, we doubt the goodness of God, because secondly, life is full of suffering. Life is full of suffering. That's true. There's so much suffering in the world. Is there so much suffering, though, that we can dismiss the goodness of God? John R.W. Stott said this. He said, the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith and has been in every generation. Suffering's distribution and degree appear to be entirely random and therefore unfair. Sensitive spirits ask if it can possibly be reconciled with God's justice and love. Stephen Fry is a British comedian and actor. He's also an atheist. And someone once asked him one day, if you have to stand before God, what are you going to say? And here was his response. I'd say, bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you create a world to which there's such misery that it's not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I would say. We don't have all the answers to the questions that we ask about suffering. The Bible doesn't give all the answers that we ask. But in the world as it is now, we know the world as it is right now, broken by sin, Almost everything beneficial involves suffering in some way. Almost every one of the best gifts that God has given you has come through the channel of suffering. That is hard. God doesn't waste suffering. It's almost a cliche. How can the Bible be a cliche? But you know what Romans 8.28 says. God, we know that in all things... God works for good. God works for good. Why? Because he's good. God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Surgeons surgeons don't willingly inflict pain. If there's a surgeon in the world who likes pain, uh, she's unqualified for her position, right? But a surgeon, in order to bring about healing, she has to use a knife. Remember this line from Charles Spurgeon. It will be helpful this week and next week. He said, God is too good to be unkind, and he's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Now, today we're going to talk about the goodness of God. Next week we're going to talk about, Lord willing, the wisdom of God. He's too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken. When we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart, that he is good. Reason number three why we doubt the goodness of God, life is unjust. Life is unjust. Where is justice in this world? That's the question that the Bible asks. In Psalm 73, the psalmist begins, he says, surely God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure, those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong, and then he goes on and on about all the benefits that the wicked have that he doesn't have, and it just doesn't seem like there's justice. 
One of the Bible's answers to that objection is to say, yes, for now it may seem that way, but the end has not yet come. There's a connection in the Bible between believing in the goodness of God and between patience. Those two things go together. We believe in the goodness of God and we are patient. Look at Lamentations 3, 25 and 26. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Patience, patience, patience. Confidence in the goodness of God requires patience. John Frame says that one of our, our, our many of our greatest theological struggles, struggles have to do with the fact that we are bound in time. God made us time-bound creatures, but God is not a time-bound creature. He is eternal, and therefore, we have a lot of questions in time that God in eternity has perfect answers for. It's part of the struggles that we have at this point in time. Now, the last thing I want to ask, last question that I want to ask and answer is, why does the goodness of God matter? What does it mean for us? Three things. Number one, it means we rejoice. We rejoice. God's power, last week we talked about this, and God's goodness are among the most significant subjects of worship in the Bible. Psalm 107.1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. We don't live in a world that is ruled by a tyrant, and that is good news worth celebrating. Psalm 34.8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. One of the most helpful stories, uh, accounts in all of the Old Testament is in the book of Exodus chapter 33. Moses has been up on the mountain for a long time and he's received from God the Ten Commandments and while he's been gone, the people down in the valley, they're impatient and they make an idol, a golden calf. You know the story, most of you. They make an idol and, and Moses comes down and he's angry and God is, is responding with, with anger to the people and, and, and Moses smashes the Ten Commandments and he goes back up and he meets with God. What am I going to do with these people? And God says, I'm not going to go with you anymore. I'll just send an angel because of these people, they're so rebellious. I'm going to destroy them in my holiness. And, 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 and Moses is discouraged about this. And he, what is he going to do with these people? And, and he says to God, show me your glory. And God says, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. I'll cause my goodness. I'm going to give you a glimpse, Moses, of my goodness. What you need when you are overwhelmed in life is a reminder about the goodness of God. When you're overwhelmed by sin, when your future is uncertain, when you don't see a, forward, a way forward, you need to know God's goodness. And, and it calls forth praise. The evidence of God's goodness is everywhere. Stephen Charnock was a Puritan writer and preacher. He wants us to think about the story of the a prodigal son that Jesus told. You know, the prodigal son who had rebelled and walked away. Eventually, he comes home. He walks home. And the last scene, the second to last scene, his father runs to greet him. Look what Stephen Charnock said. 
God, he is the true father that hath a quicker pace in meeting than the prodigal hath in returning. God's the good father who runs to meet us when we're loping home. He's more anxious to be good to us than we are to be gooded by him. So we rejoice. Second, we give, we give. We imitate God in his goodness. Look what Matthew said, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He's good. You be good to your enemies, uh, imitating him. Why? He causes his son to rise in the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So we imitate God by giving generously. Perhaps one of the reasons that God gave you greater resources than others is so that, that you might have a wide open heart to share with those with less resources, that you might have this wonderful opportunity to imitate God in this way. Our goodness, our generosity is the overflow of the goodness of God. Look at 1 John 4, 10 and 11. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, now think about the logic of this verse you maybe have before. Dear friends, since God so loved us, what should the next line be? We also ought to love him. Right? Doesn't that make sense? God loves us. We love him. That's not what John said. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Our love for one another is the overflow of God's love for us. We give in response to the goodness of God. Third, we pray. We pray. We pray to a generous and a good God. He's not stingy. He's not resentful of our requests. He never answers the phone by saying, what do you need now? Look at Psalm 50, 12 to 15. The, the Bible says, if I were hungry, God says to the people, if I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or, goat, uh, bulls or drink the blood of goats? Here's what he tells them to do. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. We actually honor God by coming to him with our requests, by calling on him by asking him to express his goodness. Steve Deneff says that he, when he was in sixth grade, he, he didn't, didn't say what he did, but in sixth grade he did something amazing, and his father wanted to congratulate him for it, so he took him in the car one evening after uh, work, after dinner, to Kmart. It's a few years ago. And they walked into Kmart, and Steve's father said to him in sixth grade, I will buy you anything in this store that you want to congratulate you for what you have done. Now, when you're sixth grade, how much of an imagination do you have? He said he thought about all the possibilities, and he didn't, he didn't, well, he didn't want to put too much pressure on his dad, so he walked by the huge stereo systems, and if it was Kmart, they were big. You remember that, so. And he walked by all the expensive uh, bikes. He put down anything that cost over $100, and the thing that he, he chose, again, it's a little old, he chose a cassette tape case. 
cost about 50 bucks. He was really happy with it. It was something that he needed. It was something that he couldn't have afforded on his own. It was nice. It was great. Later, though, several years later, he discovered that his dad had $1,000 cash in his pocket and had his checkbook with him just in case that wasn't enough money. What resources does God have at his disposal? We should have no hesitancy, brothers and sisters, in rejoicing before and in giving and in praying to our great, our very good God. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come before you this morning and how thankful we are to you for your goodness. We exalt in your great goodness. Oh Lord, as, as we, we even think, thought about last week, your goodness is greater than our ability to conceive of it. And yet we confess to you, Lord, at times our, our doubts, because life at times is hard. Help us to be faithful in encouraging one another to remember your great goodness, to sing about it faithfully and to pray in light of it, to encourage one another and help us. Lord, you are good. Hear us. Cause us to rejoice. Give us eyes to see and minds that comprehend the vast riches of your kindness. We pray these things, asking these things, because we know you are good to answer. So hear us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.